Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode. And before we get started, as usual, let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we say a word of prayer to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. There are so many times in our life when we fall and you help us to rise again. There are so many times in our life when others have influences on us, but you help us to see through the deception. You are always there for us, helping us guiding us, leading us to your everlasting arms. Lord, we ask that you help us as these final moments come upon earth. Help us to be ready. Help us not to be swayed by anybody or anything. Help our characters to be firm in you. Help us to reflect your character, Lord. We cannot do it on our own. Help us so that we may be with you forever in eternity. We thank you so much for hearing and answering our prayer, and we ask all these things in your precious holy wonderful son's name amen all right so today i want to actually read a passage from the book myp pages 85 and then all the way through 94.1 so it's going to be a lot but it is such a great passage in this book there's a lot of wonderful passages and i may go back to there again to do another podcast from the book because it just has such encouraging words for our time and also serious messages for our time so we'll just have to wait and see but for now I want to read this because I think it's very important especially with the times that we are living in to really understand that but before we get into that I'd like to read some Bible verses that kind of correlate with what this passage is talking about and the first one I'm going to read is from 2nd Peter 3 3 it says this second epistle beloved I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now, this is verses 1 through 3, but this is what it's saying. The, there will be people in the last days who scoff at the fact that Jesus is coming again. In fact, the next verse, verse 4, says this, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And it continues on, and you can read the rest of it. But basically, the Bible is saying, don't let people tell you that the Lord is not going to be coming back, because there will be plenty of people who have said, oh, you've said that for thousands of years that Jesus is coming back. But we all know that signs are more close together than they have ever been before on this earth's history. And that disaster is coming more. And that people are being more evil than ever before. And now I want to talk about this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.33. It says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. And that's true. If we are hanging around people who bring us down or try to change the way that we are or are 
mean to us or whatever the case might be, then we probably shouldn't be hanging around them because that's just not good association. And that's true in whatever case or scenario it is. We don't want to hang around people who bring us down. We want people who uplift us and encourage us and make us feel good about ourselves and not think weird about us just because we might be different or strange. And now that doesn't mean we can't hang out with people who are different than us. We are encouraged by the Lord to reach the people, to reach the world, to bring them to a knowledge of Him, not drag us down to not believe in Him anymore. A true friend will accept you for who you are, not try to change you. Unless, of course, they're trying to change you for the better. (laughs) Then that's a good friend as well. But, you know, you as a person have to choose your associations very carefully. You have to choose your friends carefully because these are the people who have influence on you and can change you whether it's good or bad. It takes true courage to stand up for your beliefs, though others may not understand why you do it or why you believe the way that you do. It takes that courage that the Bible talks about on a consistent basis that we have to be strong and be not afraid. Like Joshua 1.9 says, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. That is a beautiful promise that we can cling on to. No matter the circumstances, no matter what we're going through, throughout all of our life, we can be assured that God is with us and we can be strong and courageous because of that. And the Lord will not forsake us. We can be encouraged that the Lord will be strengthening us to uphold us. And Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. This message is over and over again in the Bible. And that in itself is encouraging because the Lord knew we needed to hear it often. And so he kept repeating it throughout all the Bible that he was telling us, hey, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry because God is there for us, ready to help us to stand against the adversary. And that is why 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. And in Psalms 31, 24, it says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. These are beautiful promises and there's many more in the Bible, both about how we should be careful of who we associate with and how we respond to them and how we treat them and how we should be loving and kind and how we can be a good influence on people and how we can choose people who will be there for us as we are there for them and how we can encourage and uplift one another with encouraging Bible verses and how we can have courage to stand up against the adversary. But now I want to get into what we're talking about today because all of those things, while they're important, I do want to focus on what this particular book is talking about. It's found in chapters 22 and chapters 23 of MYP, in case you missed it the first time. So, this is what it says. I feel the most intense anguish for our youth. I warn you, as one who knows the danger, not to be entrapped by Satan through the little knowledge of science.
confidence which you may have acquired. It is better to have a pure and humble heart than all the knowledge you can possibly gain without the fear of the Lord. The youth of today will be likely to meet skeptics and infidels wherever they may go, and how necessary that they be equipped so that they may be able to give a reason of their hope with meekness and fear. Thomas Paine has passed into his grave, but his works live to curse the world, and those who doubt the truth of God's word will place these infidel productions in the hands of the young and inexperienced to fill their hearts with poisonous atmosphere of doubt. The spirit of Satan works through wicked men to carry on his schemes for the ruin of souls. This is very true, and that it's not just Thomas Paine, it's also other men who go against what the Bible teaches, like Charles Darwin, to name one, and many other scientists and doctors and people who claim that the Lord isn't real, that he doesn't exist, and that these people are trying to put doubt in them. And it they make a very convincing argument because they sound very smart. They have all of this knowledge about the human body, about the world that we live in. So I can understand why some people don't believe in God because of all of the stuff that is surrounding us. But we also have to take some things by faith as Christians. We have to realize that we have to accept those things that we cannot explain. Now that doesn't mean we couldn't expand our horizon and we can't learn and glean and grow. We can know the earth that we live in. We can know science in the right way. We can study and learn about these things so that we can give an answer for the reason why we believe in these things. In fact, the Bible encourages it and says to study to show yourselves approved unto God. So we may give an answer to those who are asking us for a reason. One day we will have to stand before who knows how many people. The Bible says you may even stand before kings to have to give an answer. I mean, Paul did. He stood before a king back in the day and he was this close to persuading the king to believe in Jesus. That's an amazing thing. And I wish that the king had been converted. And you can read that story for yourselves. But she continues with this. We are living in an age of licentiousness and men and youth are bold in sin. Unless our youth are sacredly guarded, unless they are fortified with firm principles, unless greater care is manifested in choosing their associates and the literature which feeds the mind, they will be exposed to a society whose morals are as corrupt as were the morals of the inhabitants of Sodom. The appearance of the people of the world may be very attractive, but if they are continually throwing out suggestions against the Bible, they are dangerous companions, for they will ever seek to undermine the foundations of your faith, to corrupt the conscientiousness of old-fashioned gospel religion. That's something to think about. It's very true what she is saying here. There are people who are out there to try to get you to change your mind because they believe that they are right and they are sincere and they may not have evil intentions towards you, but they really believe these things. They really believe that these things are what is true and what is right. And we can try our best to talk about them. And sometimes we'll just have to agree to disagree and we can still care about these people and we can still love them and we can still even talk to them in a wonderful way and in a wonderful manner. As long as they're not trying to continually bash you in and you're not continually trying to bash them in either, we have to do things in the right way. But if they are not going to respect what you believe, then it 
it might not be a good friendship to continue on with because how can you be friends if all you do is argue about one thing? It's gonna tear the relationship apart eventually. And one or both of you might end up doing something you later regret, especially you as a Christian because we as Christians are brought up as a higher standard. Even people who are in the world or who believe differently than us hold us to a higher standard because they say, oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to be this way and this and that and your character is supposed to be all that is good and right. And while that is true, we are also human and we make mistakes, <laughs> unfortunately. But the Lord is gracious and forgiving. And when we do make mistakes, we can go to him and ask for that forgiveness. And if we make a mistake towards somebody else, we need to make it right with that person as well. But that's a whole nother talk and conversation. Now, she's not saying that you can't have friends who are in the world. She is saying that it is difficult to be in a that type of relationship with them if they are constantly trying to get you to change and constantly trying to throw you down. I mean, I have many people in my life that I love and I care about and that are very close to me that don't believe the same things as I do. But we have a good friendship. We have respect for one another. We have that understanding of, hey, you might not change my mind and I might not change your mind, but that doesn't mean we still can't have good conversation and still love one another. And that's wonderful and I'm very thankful for that. But that's not always the case. You know, you're gonna have people, and I've had this experience too, especially when I was in a mission field. You're gonna have people who are not gonna speak nice to you, who are not gonna treat you right because of your beliefs. And it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of patience and a lot of, Lord, help me to speak right to this person. So this is what she continues to say. Could the eyes of deluded youth be open? They would see the exultant leer of Satan at his success in ruining souls. In every conceivable way, he seeks to adapt his temptations to the various dispositions and circumstances of those whom he wishes to entangle. He will try every device, and if the subjects of these temptations do not seek God, they will be blinded to his deceptions, and will be self-confident, self-sufficient, and in ignorance of their condition and danger. They will soon come to despise the faith once delivered to the saint. I speak to the youth as one who knows, as one to whom the Lord has opened the perils that attend their pathway. Self-confidence will lead you into the snare of the enemy. The youth do not ask counsel of God and make him their refuge and strength. They enter society with all assurance, confident that they are fully able to choose the right and to comprehend divine mysteries because of their powers of reason, as though they could discover truth for themselves. We fear more for those who are self-confident than for any others, for they will surely be entangled in the net that has been set by the great adversary of God and man. Some associate who has been chosen as a familiar friend, who has been tainted with the corruption of doubt, will instill his leaven of unbelief into the minds of this class. By fulsome flattery of their talent, their intellectual superiority, by inciting in them an ambition for high position, their attention will be gained and moral blight will fall upon them. Those who are exalted in their own opinions will despise the blood of the atoning sacrifice and will do despite to the spirit of grace. This is very solemn words indeed. We have to be so careful in everything that we do. We cannot let self-confidence, our own self-confidence, to destroy us because it will and it can. We need to seek the Lord continually.
continually and ask for his help in all that we say and all that we do. And without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we are dust, literally. He made us from the dust and we have to ask him for help. We cannot be like, oh, well, I know all of this stuff and I'll be fine. I won't be tricked into doing anything wrong or anything bad. Satan is waiting for us, ready, and has a bunch of ways in which to trip us up and trap us because that's his goal. He doesn't want us to be saved. He doesn't want us to be in heaven. He wants us lost. So he's going to use every avenue he can, every angle he can to get us to fall. And we are shown time and time again that that's why we have to be watchful and be ready to be prepared to watch and to pray always and in all things because we cannot trust ourselves to our own salvation. We have to ask the Lord for help. We have to ask the Lord to speak through us, to speak those words, to help us when we answer people, to ask him to give us wisdom, to ask him to help us because in and of ourselves, we cannot do it. And we can see this. We, When we try to do things on our own, we fail. And in that failure, we learn humility and we learn things about ourselves that we need to change. Hopefully that is what we gain out of it. That's not always the case, unfortunately, but I believe that those who are insincere and who really want to do the right, we can do it with God's help. We cannot do it on our own. That's why we have to fear for our salvation. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the Bible tells us, and we have to watch out for all of these things. It is a very serious, solemn matter that takes all of our consideration, and we need to be always in prayer. That's why Paul says, I pray without ceasing, because when we stop praying and when we stop going to the Lord and when we stop that, that's the moment Satan finds his entry point and he's like, yes, I've been waiting for you to fail. I've been waiting for you to get your guard down, get your walls down in one area of your life so that I can step in and bring you down. And that's exactly what he's waiting for. But we can have the victory. We can gain and overcome over the adversary because the Lord is stronger than Satan. She continues, the children of Sabbath-keeping parents who have had great light, who have been the objects of the tenderest solicitude, may be the ones who will leave a heritage of shame, who will sow to the wind and reap the whirlwind. In the judgment, the names of those who have sinned against great light will be written with those who are condemned to be separated from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. They will be lost, lost, and will be numbered with the scorners of the grace of Christ. I would rather see my children laid in the grave than see them taking the path that leads to death. The terrible fact that I had nurtured children to fight against the God of heaven, to swell the ranks of apostates in the last days, to march under the black banner of Satan would indeed be a thought of horror to me. And it should be a thought of horror to all of us. It is a thought of horror to me. And I think of all of the times that in my life that I've messed up and all of the ways that I'm still messing up currently. I am not perfect. I have many things that need to change. And I'm sure all of you can say the same thing because none of us are perfect. None of us can claim perfection. The moment we claim perfection is the moment that we fall. But do not let these words discourage you. Do not let the devil make you think that it's too late for you to turn away from sin, to turn away from the darkness. It is never too late. Go to Jesus today. Fall on your knees. Confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to create in us a new and clean heart. And we can be better than ever, not because of our own doing, but because of Christ working in us. And we can ask others
others to pray for us too. This is what is so wonderful about Christianity. We have a ready army waiting to pray for us, to help us, to say, look, I cannot do this on my own. I need help. I need your prayers. I need your guidance. I need you to help me. And you may not have to explain what you need help with. Just tell them, I need your prayers. Please keep me in your prayers. We are to be the type of people that can listen to our brothers and sisters through the problems and the struggles that they have and not judge them for it, but to help them to see the light so that they can be guided out of whatever it is that they're doing to help them realize that they are sinning, to help them realize how serious it is and to help them to get over it. And may we all do that for one another. When we help others, we help ourselves inadvertently. It's always the case when we do something for others, we think less of ourselves. And we can pray for ourselves too. The Lord is waiting and willing to help all who come to him. And she continues, our youth will meet temptations on every hand and they must be so educated that they will depend upon higher power, higher teaching than they can be given by mortals. There are deceivers of our Lord everywhere who habitually throw contempt upon Christianity. They call it the plaything of children, invented to impose on the credulity of the ignorant. Those who have not moral power cannot stand in defense of the truth. They have not courage to say, unless such conversation ceases, I cannot remain in your presence. Jesus, the world's redeemer, is my savior. In him is centered my hope of eternal life. But this is the very way in which to silence them. If you argue with them, they will have arguments with which to meet you, and nothing you may say will touch them. But if you live for Jesus, if you are firm in your allegiance to the God of heaven, you may do for them that which argument will fail to do, and convince them of the fallacy of their doctrines by the power of godliness. There is no sadder spectacle than that of those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, who have been instructed with talents wherewith they may glorify God, turning to jest the messages graciously sent to them in the gospel, denying the divinity of Christ, and trusting to their own finite reasoning, and to arguments that have no foundation, when tested with affliction, when brought face to face with death, all these fallacies they have cherished will be melted away like the frost before the sun. How terrible it is to stand by the coffin of one who has rejected the appeals of divine mercy. How terrible to say, here is a life lost. Here is one who might have reached the highest standard and gained immortal life. But he surrendered his life to Satan, became ensnared by the vain philosophies of men, and was a plaything of the evil one. The Christian's hope is as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and entereth into that which is within the veil. Whether Christ, the forerunner, is for us entered, we have an individual work to do to prepare for the great events that are before us. This is a solemn message, and I know that, but it is important for us to hear these words, and I want that kind of courage to speak up to people when they may be jesting against the Bible, and when they may be saying things against my Savior. And truly, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters, and we need to pray for ourselves because it is there is no sadder spectacle than those who have been purchased and entrusted with all of these talents that God has given us, whatever they may be. And if you don't think you have a talent, you do. Pray and ask the Lord about it. He will show you what that talent is. He will lead and guide you. And you may even get new talents too. We can gain talents. And the Lord has blessed 
wonderfully in that regard to us. He is a loving, giving Savior, and He wants us to use those talents to glorify God. And when we don't, and when we jest about spiritual matters, and we, we jest about things of the Bible, it brings such sadness to Him. And that is why we need to be very careful in how we speak and how we act. The Christian truly does need to be that shining example to others, so that when they look to us, they see in us something that is different, something that is unique. And sad to say, we fail in that regard way too often. But the Lord is able to help us. The Lord is able to give us a hope and that victory that we can talk to people in a way that is kind and loving and like how he would do. And we can stand up for the right, no matter who it is that is saying it to us. And it is hard to stand for the right when it's our family or our friends and those who are close to us, because you always are thinking, what are they going to think about me? I'm going to be the weirdo. I'm going to be the strange one. People are going to say I'm strict. I'm going to be called all of these different types of names. But it's okay. We have to realize that when these people do that, they also are mocking the Lord. We have to stand up for the right no matter what people think about us, no matter what it is. We have to know that the Lord is there with us when we are standing up for him. And people may call you all manner of names and be against you. The Bible tells us that's going to happen. The Bible even says, hey, if you choose this pathway, these things are going to happen to you. It's not an easy road. It's not something that's going to be a vacation. It is something that you have to work for, strive for, pray about, and to work together with the Savior in order to stand up for the right. It takes true courage to be a Christian. And we have had many experiences of that. And the Lord gives us that courage that we need. He gives us the help that we need. We just have to be willing to ask for the help. And we have to know that he is going to be with us. And that is why the Christian hope is an anchor to the soul. And it is sure and steadfast. And the Lord went before us. He had all of these temptations like we did. And he was able to withstand Satan's temptations and come out on the other end. And that is such a beautiful thing to know that he went through all of this and died for us so that we could have that immortal life. There is such a work to be done for our own salvation, and we should do this day by day and with each passing moment. She continues, the youth should seek God more earnestly. The tempest is coming, and we must get ready for its fury by having repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will arise to shake terribly the earth. We shall see troubles on all sides. Thousands of ships will be hurled into the depths of the sea. Navies will go down and human lives will be sacrificed by millions. Fires will break out unexpectedly and no human effort will be able to quench them. The palaces of earth will be swept away in the furies of the flames. Disasters by rail will become more and more frequent. Confusion, collision, and death without a moment's warning will occur on the great lines of travel. The end is near. Probation is closing. Oh, let us seek God while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The prophet says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. This is very true, and we see this especially nowadays. There have been fires breaking out, unexpected snowstorms. The ocean has been hurling tsunamis and hurricanes and all manner of terrible storms our way, and we have seen collision and death 
by land, by air, by sea, all of these things. More now than ever before do we see these. And that is how we know that the end is even closer than ever before because these things keep getting more and more dangerous, more and more deadly and more powerful as the years go by. And that is what we are warned against and why we are told about these things so that we can know when Jesus is coming is near so that we can prepare and get ready, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. She says this, when you rise in the morning, do you feel your helplessness and your need of strength from God? And do you humbly, heartily make known your wants to your heavenly father? If so, angels mark your prayers. And if these prayers have not gone forth out of feigned lips, when you are in danger of unconsciously doing wrong and exerting an influence which will lead others to do wrong, your guardian angel will be by your side, prompting you to a better course, choosing your words for you and influencing your actions. If you feel in no danger and if you offer no prayer for help and strength to resist temptations, you will be sure to go astray. Your neglect of duty will be marked in the book of God in heaven and will be found wanting in the trying day. Those are solemn words indeed and I know I need to be better with that myself. I'm not only speaking to every one of you but I also speak to myself. We need to do this every single day. We need to go to the Father and ask for his help so that when we are in danger of doing something, even unconsciously so, we can have our angel helping us and prompting us to a better course of action, to a better way of speaking, a better way of doing. And that is something amazing in and of itself that the Father has put all of this for us so that we do not need to sin. We can have strength and help with temptations and when those things arise. And it is truly, truly wonderful to think about and to contemplate. And this book, I highly encourage you to read it because there's many more things about it that are just so good that keep you thinking, that speak to your soul, that really make you consider your own salvation. And I want to read one final quote. It says, We may flatter ourselves that we are free from many things of which others are guilty, but if we have some strong points of character and but one weak point, there is yet a communion between sin and the soul. The heart is divided in its service and says, Some of self and some of thee. The child of God must search out the sin which he has petted and indulged himself in and permit God to cut it out of his heart. He must overcome that one sin for it is not a trifling matter in the sight of God. One says I am not the least jealous, but then I do get provoked and say mean things, although I am always sorry after giving way to temper. Another says I have this fault or that, but then I just despise such and such meanness as is manifested by a certain person of my acquaintance. The Lord has not given us a list of graded sins so that we may reckon some as of little consequence and say that they will do but little harm while others are of greater magnitude and will do much harm. A chain is no stronger than its weakest link. We might pronounce such a chain good on the whole, but if one link is weak, the chain cannot be depended on. The work of overcoming is to be the study of every soul who enters the kingdom of God. The patient word quivering on your lips must be left unspoken. The thought that your character is not rightly estimated must be put from you, for it weakens your influence and works out the sure result, making you 
you of light estimation in the minds of others. You should overcome the idea that you are a martyr and lay claim to the promise of Christ who says, my grace is sufficient for thee. These speak for themselves. There doesn't need to be anything more said about them. We have a work to do and we need to do it. And I want to leave with this final paragraph where she says, you should keep off from Satan's enchanted ground and not allow your minds to be swayed from allegiance to God. Through Christ you may and should be happy and should acquire habits of self-control. Even your thoughts must be brought into subjection to the will of God and your feelings under the control of reason and religion. Your imagination was not given you to be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort of, at restraint or discipline. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong and the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. When you decide that as Christians you are not required to restrain your thoughts and feelings, you are brought under the influence of evil angels and invite their presence and their control. If you yield to your impressions and allow your thoughts to run in a channel of suspicion, doubt, and repining, you will be among the most unhappy of mortals and your lives will prove a failure. Nothing is apparently more helpless yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior. God would send every angel in heaven to aid of such a one rather than allow him to be overcome. And that is a beautiful promise indeed and something that I want to leave on so that we can reflect and think of that. God is waiting to help us to bring us up to be like him and he would send every angel out of heaven if necessary to aid us if we are willing God is willing nothing is impossible it may seem impossible when we look at it in the grand scheme of things but we cannot look at it in our human mind because if we do things on our own if we do this on our own it is impossible but with God nothing is impossible and I want you to remember that so pray 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 and ask the Lord to help you help you to bring you up on a higher standard a higher ground so that we may be saved our salvation is a serious thing and we must go to him for that help and to be with him for all of eternity is worth more than all what the world can offer us so please consider that now I want to sing this song it's called I'm pressing on the upward way it's a beautiful hymn and I hope that it is a blessing for you. It goes like this. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. 
I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to scale the utmost high and catch a gleam of glory bright. But still I'll pray till rest I found. Lord, lead me on to higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Canaan's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And that is exactly what our prayer should be. Lord, lift us up so that we are standing on that higher ground. And remember, when we know these truths and when we see these truths, we need to share that with others and to help them so that they too can be placed on higher ground. It says in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So with all of this being said, let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the Lord.